0: Wednesday, August 26, 2020. A groundbreaking day in the sports world. After Jacob Blake, a 29-year-old black man, was shot seven times by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin, the Milwaukee Bucks said enough is enough. They boycotted their playoff game against Orlando. Soon after, the rest of the league halted for three days. Several other demonstrations in the WNBA and Major League Baseball followed suit. In a year of unrest, athletes have not shied away from the spotlight. The question becomes, how do their symbolic gestures translate to systemic change? How does their powerful message become reform? Mark Conrad is the director of the sports business program at Fordham. He's also an associate professor of law and ethics. He joins us today. I'm Emmanuel Barbari and this is Fordham Conversations. We welcome in Professor Mark Conrad. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. A crazy week in sports for sure. What was your initial reaction when the Bucks news broke? It was fairly sudden because the decision was made, I think,
1: um, in a very, very quick series of events. And I believe that some of the other team players or players from other teams Uh, We're rather surprised by it. But on the other hand, I think this has been a culmination of all that has been happening uh, in the last several years, but particularly this year. So in one sense, it has not surprised me. And I think uh, with a different um, situation uh, and a different attitude that we're seeing among professional athletes in the midst of all these social events, uh, it actually is often pretty predictable. So in that sense, I wasn't surprised. I think the suddenness did
0: surprise me. When you think back, does this compare to any sports moment in the past for you, or is this truly a groundbreaking moment for professional sports?
1: I think this is groundbreaking. While you've had some issues of social activism in the past, but nothing is compared to what we've been seeing right now, at least in this country, and maybe possibly spreading to other countries as well. But certainly, uh, we're living in unique times. And I think everything that's happened this year is just pointing to a tremendous level of social activism and also a level that professional athletes see themselves as uh, involved in the community and involved in society more than uh, they have in the past.
0: When do you think that changed? I think you hit on an important point there that they see themselves as a bridge to change that wasn't always the case in sports do you think there was a moment or maybe a realization that changed things in professional sports
1: it's hard to pin it down to one particular event but i do think that the political situation in this country was one reason uh the second reason i think really is colin kaepernick who brought uh this issue into direct focus and when he brought it into focus the reaction Uh, by the White House, if you will, I think also just uh, exacerbated the situation from those uh, who felt maybe uh, it should have been handled differently. And the politicization of this particular situation, I think, by uh, the political class, if you will, and really by President Trump in particular, I think is what uh, galvanized uh, the feelings by many, many athletes. And this is continuing, plus, of course, the highly publicized uh, killings that we've been seeing in actions by police
0: officers uh, in various contexts in the last uh, six, seven years. That's important in the fact that it used to be Colin Kaepernick almost out on an island, and now it's so many athletes banding together. And whenever these racial justice issues arise, there seems to be, like you said, that intersection of sports and and politics. Do you think that's good or bad for the leagues, and why, when sports and politics band together?
1: Traditionally, the leagues don't like it. Traditionally, the owners don't like it. They want to market their business and market the sport is a form of entertainment and diversion from what is happening in the quote-unquote real world. So certainly, if you're going to have issues that are controversial, that could um, arguably offend or anger some of the fan base, that's not going to be good for business. I think there may be the beginnings of some changes in that, uh, particularly more in the NBA because it is considered the quote-unquote most progressive league. And I think it's some way to harness fans Uh, that may have those beliefs to begin with and maybe even attract new fans uh, and uh, remarket their sport or reimagine their sport. So I think on the NBA level, I don't think it's going to hurt. Uh, I think on the NFL level, uh, where uh, ownership is more conservative and the base of fans tends to be older and, dare I say, Midwestern or quote-unquote whiter, uh, I think they're uh, there is concern, because if you notice that the NFL owners have been fairly quiet uh, in um, this situation because of maybe their political leanings or, or and or uh, what effect that's going to have on their business.
0: You mentioned the people who may be somewhat in opposition to this, and many people will say the boycott, the tweets, that's all great, but but real action is another thing. What do you think that real action could entail from these players?
1: Well, the strong there are two ways they could look at it. One, of course, these players could be more politically involved and get involved in actually dealing with those issues, whether it's uh, campaigning for candidates, whether it's going to demonstrations, whether it's uh, even maybe forming political action committees to raise money. Uh, There are lots of things that they could do, uh, although that does take time, effort, and organization. But that's one end of it. The second end of it is that they can... um, evolve and expand themselves as a very dynamic labor force. Now, the professional athletes are unionized in the major leagues, and certainly they have engaged in job actions and been involved in lockouts by owners, but that's a more economic thing. That's not so much a political thing or a social thing, but certainly uh, there could be talk about adding certain Uh, issues, uh, um, agreements with owners to fund certain activities, do certain things, uh, maybe even part of collective bargaining agreements in the future that could certainly have social issue aspects to them. Uh, I also would point out in the college sports uh, scene, I think there's even more potential there because you are beginning to see athletes who are not normally considered laborers or workers Thinking more and more like laborers or workers and putting demands on their respective schools and conferences to say, we'll play only under these conditions. We are demanding maybe more hirings of African American personnel or whatever it may be, or uh, other actions that may be connected with social movements. That's a a new um, issue, and that's really a new kind of reimagining on that level because college athletes do not have the kind of rights that professional unionized athletes do. And the fact that you are seeing uh, more and more um, college athletes thinking that way, I think is a very significant development.
0: You mentioned athletes potentially campaigning for political candidates, and it seems whenever that has occurred in the past, there's been a lot of heat on those athletes. Do you think that maybe restrains them from, from going forward with that, the adverse effects it could have on the political climate? It's possible. Indeed, there is some risk in doing
1: that. Uh, LeBron James did campaign for Hillary Clinton four years ago. Uh, I think there's some thought that he may be doing some campaigning this time around. But I think it is relatively rare. And you are right, because there are risks involved. I think retired athletes are a better, better gauge and a better source of uh, those kind of Uh, situations where you'll find them working with candidates and certainly I think we've seen uh, that uh, aspect in both political conventions over the last couple of weeks. So I think that's a more fertile area. But it's certainly possible that in off-season situations that athletes can find the time to do that. And I think time will tell uh, whether you're going to see that pass.
0: As we speak right now, the NBA season is continuing and they're making plans to return to action. But Let's say the season had been canceled. Where would the athletes have, have gone from there in your mind?
1: I think that would have been a really tough call. And I suspect there was a lot of dissension on that point in the meetings that have occurred in the bubble down in Orlando. Because if you're talking about canceling a season, you are talking about no paycheck or may at least a reduced paycheck. Right. And uh, some athletes could afford that. Other athletes cannot. Now that becomes really a pocketbook issue of how far they wanna go. And not only will there be no paycheck, you know, what effect that that could have on their career in terms of their playing skill, in terms of the fact if any of them become a free agent, uh, what's going to be the future there? Because ultimately these players, as elite as they are, are employees. And they do work for somebody, you know, an owner of a team uh, who does pay the bills. So that, I think, is a factor, although it's not a factor that's been discussed, but certainly uh, going from a few million dollars a year to zero or next to zero is going to be a very, very significant sacrifice.
0: Speaking of employment, speaking of labor, one of your points that I read before we hopped on the interview is that athletes, both pro and increasingly college, are seeing themselves as labor collective, and the days where they were just, quote, shut up and play are gone What do you exactly mean by labor collective? Can you hash that out for the audience? Well,
1: college athletes tech would have a hard time unionizing under the labor laws as they're construed. Some people have said they could and fulfill the requirements of an employee, but you have to be an employee uh, to be eligible to be in a union. You can't be an independent contractor. You can't be a student. You have to have some Uh, indicia of employment. And that's been the question, whether a student-athlete who gets a scholarship is deemed to be an employee. Some have argued by saying, well, you know what, they work, quote-unquote, so many hours a week in practices and games. They're under direct supervision. uh, And in a sense, they get some compensation, those who get a scholarship. Maybe they are. Uh, The courts have not definitively ruled on that, nor has the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board. Uh, But nevertheless, even if they don't formally unionize, there are ways to organize and uh, not negotiate for wages as a union, but certainly do have a collective and possibly a position to say to schools, to coaches, whoever, say, look, this is what we want. And the big issue is before the uh, social... Uh, justice issues came about was really health and safety, which is going to come back. And that's something that's uh, been discussed too, because in the time of COVID uh, and with the divisions regarding the conferences on who's playing football and who's not, and you have universities that are closed, but yet want the football team on campus, there's some really significant issues there. And I think you know, from an ethical point of view, it really behooves those who are doing the playing to have some kind of seat and saying, look, you know, we may wanna play, but we do want to have some kind of reasonable safety precautions. Uh, some universities who tried to get them to sign waivers of liability uh, were found that uh, were subject to considerable criticism uh, for doing that because again, Those are the folks that get the injuries. Those are the folks that get the risks, not the coaches
0: and not the university presidents. There's been a massive trend over the last several years. These leagues, like you were saying, have become more player-centric. The players want to make something happen. It happens. They want to get traded. They're traded. And it's not as if the front office or ownership can necessarily step in and direct traffic all the time. Do you see this changing anytime soon, or will the leagues continue to go down this path?
1: I think the leagues have to go down this path. I think the days of these kind of uh, you know, lockstep, top-bottom management uh, are long gone, because ultimately, uh, professional and non-professional sports are basically um, services. They involve personal services uh, by people who do engage in the sport for an audience, whether they're paid or not. You know, they're not factory workers, and fans are not buying products. They're basically watching the players play. So the players are the ones doing the playing, and arguably they're the ones who should have a say in at least some respect, you know, how the play occurs, the nature of coaching to some extent, as well as, you know, health and safety protocols,
0: which have not always been the best in certain sports in the past. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Emmanuel Barbari talking with the director of the sports business program at Fordham, Mark Conrad. It's sports, it's racial injustice, it's the agency of the modern athlete, all in one with Professor Mark Conrad. Even if the players weren't out and about making, quote, real change happening, When people wonder what boycotting or or kneeling during the national anthem would achieve, does the fact that it simply raises awareness and has made this conversation mainstream a major success in that it wasn't that way a few years ago? Absolutely.
1: I think that's correct because this was not something on the radar screen. Uh, 10 years ago and even five years ago, That you uh, And as it is now, and look at all the articles that are written, the comments are written, uh, that are in the general media, online, etc. You know, it's a huge issue. And I think when you cover sports today, uh, you're not just covering, of course, the sport, you're covering the labor issues, you're covering the social issues, you're uh, covering the gender issues, you're covering coaching abuse issues that you're seeing more and more. And I think you're seeing some reimaginings in the relationship. But ultimately, I mean, professional athletes know what they have to do. And ultimately, their bread is buttered by playing. But nevertheless, in times do change. Attitudes change as well. And I think we're not going to go back to the days when athletes are just going to shut
0: up and play. Very interesting. Now, let's move over to some of the recent developments that have gone on with the racial injustice, locally at least. You have Giants head coach Joe Judge saying it's the team's responsibility to be out in the community uh, affecting change. If you could lay out some of the prongs of what the team could be doing out in the community, what would those be in your mind?
1: Well, I think there'll be more engagement. I think that the idea of players and coaches going to various kinds of institutions like schools, uh, neighborhoods, uh, dealing with recreational programs, and I think also fostering the importance of education and why that is important. And the fact, the more you know, um, the more you can affect change and the more um, a better person, arguably, you can be. So I think there's a lot uh, those are just some very general ideas, but a lot of different uh, re- outreach ideas that can be um, determined. And I think each team has to make that determination, and each coach does, and the players do, given the market also. Because uh, teams play in different markets, and different markets have different needs, different socioeconomic issues. So I think the leagues have been right in saying, let's have the teams – lead on the local level because the New York market is different than the Philadelphia market which is different than uh, the Las Vegas market for example
0: and then the Mets GM Brody Van Wagenen if speaking properly in the hot mic tape there were a few clarifications afterwards essentially alluded to Commissioner Rob Manfred suggesting a one hour game delay for the Mets and then continuing on with the action It, it, it is tough to Kind of juggle the meaning here. Will half measures ever get the job done in these leagues, or is it almost all or nothing? It depends how
1: you define a half measure. Uh, one person's half measure is another person's full measure. Uh, one person's full measure may be not enough for other people. So I think it does depend on the circumstance. And of course, this was a statement made that you know came out that I think was uh, not. In terms of the best optics for the Mets, people did say that what he said really had a good point to it. You know, a one-hour delay, uh, if given this environment, you know, it could be just very superficial. However, to, as far as the Mets are concerned, because the team is up for sale and because that sale has to be approved by the league, you know, I don't think the Wilpons really want to pick a fight with the commissioner of baseball. given the circumstances, because it is highly likely. And I think many Mets fans would honestly look forward to the day that the team is sold and uh, they don't want to uh, have a problem that could cause some delay in that sale.
0: You mentioned before how five years ago this conversation would not have been mainstream. Just from your perspective, five years from now, if you had to project, what do you think the conversation will look like?
1: wow uh these are tough questions because it's really hard to predict what's going to happen next week much less five <laughs> yeah. years or next month or three months from now uh we really don't know i think a lot of it has to do with the general situation in the country you know this has been just a horrible year of various you know terrible events uh almost biblical in their uh, effect so it's, it's just a very, very rough time for lots and lots of people. And and I think whether the country comes out of that economically is going to be one issue, comes out of it, at least in a public health situation, to have some stability you know is a second issue or a first issue, depending on how you look at it. And then, of course, we do have the social justice issues that permeate In the midst of all this. So we have a lot of hurdles to to cover. I do think in five years, one thing I I think you can reasonably predict that uh, the relationship between players and leagues could uh, be different in certain ways. Uh, regarding uh, maybe coordination on these issues. But I think the one uh, thing I would bet on is that the era of the college student athlete in the big schools is going to uh, change forever and they will basically be some kind of professionalization of college sports, at least the major sports in the major schools in five years, if not less.
0: Wanted to get a couple of thoughts from you on the current sports landscape amid COVID-19 before we wrap up here. And football seems to be trying to pull off a season where they are not going through the full preseason per usual. They're kind of jumping right into the action. And there are some fallbacks potentially in terms of injury and whether the players will be prepared. How do you see the NFL season shaping up this fall?
1: there will likely be some kind of season unless we have just a huge, huge, you know, uh, second wave. There's just too much at stake. Uh, The NFL is the fortunate league that's the best positioned to deal with this because so much of their money comes from broadcast revenue. So even if they're empty stadiums, they still will do okay. Uh, the team valuations are still very, very high. So people are bullish about football. And also the players did come up with an, uh, agreed to a new collective bargaining agreement in a very close vote. But well, I wouldn't say it is going to be labor peace, but uh, it would be very, very hard to have labor negotiations in the midst of this. That, that will not happen. So I think they will get through the season uh, barring upticks, and also barring uh, any uh, huge positives within teams and players. That's the risk that they face because they're not doing the bubble. They're doing what baseball is doing. So that's uh, one of the big risks. But I think they'll get, as of now, I suspect more likely than not, there will be a professional football season. For college football, I am less optimistic. I, I think it could very well be that there will be no college football because the spikes in certain universities have been a real concern. And there's going to be pressure by many schools to shut down and go remote. And if that happens, the optics will be terrible if they have the football players on campus playing football.
0: Logistically, do you think a spring season could be pulled off or just no college football period? it would be very hard to pull off a spring season nothing's impossible especially
1: when there's broadcast money involved but i think logistically it would be very very hard
0: baseball and you were talking about the bubble formats aside from stepping aside for the racial injustice issues the nba bubble was actually very successful in terms of just positive covid 19 test rates and same goes with the national hockey league If baseball gets to a point where they successfully make it through the postseason, they finish the season altogether, do you think a bubble would have to be involved, especially with the cold and flu season intertwining with with COVID-19 this fall? The postseason could be a bubble. I think there is a reasonable possibility
1: of that, simply because we've had the breakouts among the teams, and we've had this condensed season that even if a few games are canceled, You're talking about the situation with the Yankees where they would have to play like 20 some odd games in 20 days with tons of doubleheaders. And that increases the risk of injury, you know, forgetting COVID, but it's injury. And those of uh, your Yankees fans know about that all too (laughs) well right now. So it's really not an ideal situation because they had to compress the number of games in a short time. You know, the NBA and NHL seasons were well underway, so they just made a playoff out of them, more or less. And football didn't begin yet. So baseball really was in a very unlucky position. And uh, it's really going to be very touch and go. And if there's a season uh, and players are out, even when the time they get into the bubble, you know, the validity of the season could be called into question. As well, like how much of a season was this really uh, an effect like an effective season, given everything we said. But I think the bubble possibility is a very, very strong possibility uh, for the playoffs.
0: One more and a more broad question in that this year we've seen so much change, whether it's the way we we consume material. We just got through political conventions that were unlike anything we've seen. Do you think this year, whether it's the mandate to have minor league baseball teams or the mandate to have crowds at certain events, do you think this year will make us rethink the way we consume material and ultimately move forward with professional sports or or anything for that matter?
1: There's a possibility of that. That's a great question. Because if you take a look at just how you broadcast games in a situation like this, There have been some pretty novel broadcasting techniques that we've seen, uh, say, in the NHL playoffs and camera angles, different um, announcing techniques, maybe. And of course, what we have in the arenas or not have in the arenas. But I think, you know, we are in the virtual reality era. And the question is going to be. Uh, in terms of that, in terms of those kind of technologies, we also are coming to the day of a new broadcast TV standard, which is something that has not gotten a lot of publicity. But in the next three, four, five years, you're going to have a new generation of high definition televisions that could do more. You know, there's 5G communications. So along those lines, not only are there new ways to disseminate the content, there are also new ways to monetize the content, if you will. If you are a team, if you're players, um, <clears throat> what do you do? Even thinking of the day that crowds could be limited, um, the, the food sales could be limited, which is actually a big area for many um, sports, uh, you can try to replace that at least on the money side with new ways of disseminating information. Biodata is getting more and more important and what's the value in biodata? And that's having an effect on sports, too, because the days of these very long free agent contracts in baseball could be coming to an end, simply because now the general managers and coaches may have access to data about how the players' bodies work, what are they doing. And that's also becoming, uh, I think, a realization uh, in the next few years. So there are going to be different ways we're going to think about it in society. And also, I think, you know, since you know, you work at a radio, university radio station and I, and I teach at a university, you know, just the way materials in universities and colleges are being disseminated uh, is a big change. And I think, you know, when schools open again and mercifully when this is going to be under control, nevertheless, some of the techniques we're learning now
0: will continue. That's Professor Mark Conrad. You can follow him on Twitter at Law one Appreciate a few minutes here. Great insight and enjoy the semester. Thank you. Good luck. Big thanks to Professor Mark Conrad for joining the show. His work at Fordham and beyond sheds light on the business side of professional sports and the voice of the modern athlete. If you missed any parts of the interview, you can head over to WFUV.org for the full conversation. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Emmanuel Bravari.